This is a Soulfire production. Yo, everybody, welcome back to Politically Homeless. I am Connor Moore, but you know that. You know who I am. And I would like to meet some of my new friends, Michael Soley and Bro Jogan. Bro Jogan is new in the Patreon along with Michael and Soley. I appreciate your commitment to the cause. And um, Bro Jogan, especially you, for some reason, I don't understand why, but I like it. I like it. I appreciate it. And the Patreon is a great place to get premium content. It's actually the only place to get premium content from this show. And it seems like Apple is going to take away the ability for us to put clickable links in the show notes. But if you need to find it, it's there right now. And if you want to just do it the, the old school way, go to patreon.com slash politically homeless. Check it out. Sign up. Get an extra episode every week that is crowdsourced from the Patreon for the Patreon. Now, we've got a longer show this week. It was one of those weeks where... This tends to happen sometimes, and I like to give you a little bit of a, a little bit of insight into what goes on behind the scenes. And you know, I was having trouble. I usually do these on Tuesdays. It's Wednesday, but I give myself a Tuesday to Wednesday window to knock this thing out. Um, and there just wasn't like a ton going on, right? People were like, "Talk about Tim Scott." I'm like, "Okay, that's fine." And Trump's social media platform, which is hilarious. There's some stuff. There's a few things, and then there, towards the end, things start like falling in my lap, right? Bill and Melinda Gates. We're gonna talk about that. Um, Trump was on Candace Owens' show, which is kind of funny. There's a Taliban attack. We got some birth rate stuff going on. Of course, Pfizer's making hella money from the vaccine, you know, and, and we, we got some stuff. So it kind of spiraled a little bit, and I'm excited about that. I enjoy when it kind of spirals and we end up seeing where it goes. Sometimes that makes for the best content. Sometimes it makes for the worst content, but we're going to find out. We're going to find out just how prepared I need to be to talk on some of these things. But at the end of the day, I'm just an asshole yelling into a microphone like everyone else. Got into some heated, heated exchanges on social media this week. Um, interesting stuff, really interesting stuff. And we're going to talk about this a little bit with the Tim Scott speech. And we're not even going to like go into the Biden, uh, Biden address to Congress. Like it was an hour long. I can't listen to that old man talk for an hour. I don't think anybody else can. The ratings were really bad, which is like, it's what happens when you don't have a dumpster fire, right? Because the conservatives uh, in response to Biden's ratings were like, well, it's because people loved Trump so much. That's why they tuned in. It's like, no, because you couldn't stop watching. Like I, you, I would tune into a train wreck. You know what I'm saying? Like that's that's kind of what happens. And it's really interesting to see what kind of crazy shit the guy's going to say. With Biden, the best thing you can hope for is like a gaffe, right? And so there wasn't much there. But anyway, some 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 heated kind of back and forth on social media, and it it was weird. I had some somebody in my in my in my comments calling um, Joe Rogan a narcissist, which could be true. I don't know. I've never met the guy. Um, and going off about you know giving him giving health advice and this other shit, and it was just back and forth, and then other stuff about the data, and it's like, dude, we gotta calm down with this. Like jumping into my DMs and and expecting me to just to really give a shit is just why? What is that? 
And if any of you out there are doing that, like just not just my DMs, like if you listen to the show and you chime in and you can, I, and I, I take criticism as well, but it's like trying the, these, these statements of just like just trying to discredit people, right? Just trying to discredit people you don't know. You know, like coming at Joe Rogan, it's like he's a misogynistic, sexist, asshole, narcissist. I'm like, well, do you, do you know that? Like, is that, what is, what is, what is that? You know, saying the same thing about like, you could say that about Trump, maybe with his history. You can say that about Jeffrey Epstein, probably. Like, there's people you can say that about. Um, but what did this guy ever do to you? He's a fucking comedian. He like does things. You know what I'm saying? It's like he just does, he just says shit, you know? So people come at me for being sexist, and I'm like, how, what? And it's like, well, you can't, being a white man, you can't really defend yourself these days. But it's it's a weird, it's a weird deal. And then I have other people from the other side of the political spectrum coming in and being like, well, you know, America wasn't founded on racism. That's not in the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution. And I'm like, well, the Declaration of Independence is just a, a declaration of war. And when the Constitution was written, they didn't really think their slaves were human beings. So your point is kind of null and void, right? Like, we just don't have, like, what... The things that we choose to fight for, to me, are so, so interesting. And then on top of that, we live in a society where the word misinformation or disinformation has just been raped to death. It's like this, you know, if the Washington Post or the New York Times says something is a disinformation campaign or even uses the word disinformation, that's like immediate eye roll from 80% of people. It's like, oh, really, is it? Tell me more about how I'm being disinformed. Like, shut the fuck. Like, that word used to mean something. It's funny to watch words start to mean nothing. Nothing. It's a very Orwellian, Orwellian things. And people that are, like, on the on the irrational left, I'm not going to call it the radical left anymore because I feel like the radical left has some merit, but the irrational left, the silly, childish, petty left, um... They don't like being called Orwellian. They're like, oh, you know, they get offended by that. I'm like, well, then quit doing stuff that's straight out of 1984. Like, <laughs> like quit, quit criticizing the government and then trying to give them more power. I don't know. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's just a weird, it's a weird deal. Now, speaking of disinformation and social media, Facebook did uphold the Trump suspension. That's not really news. That's not really a surprise. And at the same time, Biden is over here just trying to ban menthol cigarettes, which is whatever, I guess I haven't, I don't think I think I may have smoked a menthol cigarette one time. I've probably smoked in my whole life, like accumulated amount of smoking, maybe a pack of cigarettes. Uh, if that, that's being pretty generous. I mean, it's never really been a thing for me. Smoked a hell of a lot of weed, but not, not that many, uh, cigarettes. I never thought that was a good idea. There's other ways I would, that are more enjoyable to destroy my health that I would, I would preference, but Banning menthols, I guess, is a thing. So stock up on those. And I'm really curious. I, I was going to actually subscribe to the Daily Wire um, to watch Trump on Candace, the Candace Owens show on Daily Wire. It was like $14. I'm like, I'll see what's up. I mean, it's good to see stuff behind the paywall. But I actually read the terms and conditions and realized that I could not use any audio or video from that interview in my show. So therefore, I did not pay for the content, and I saw some things about her saying, asking Trump if she like in, in jest, but kind of serious. You know what I mean? Like when you're joking, but not really, um, about being his vice president, which would be our vice vice presidential um, candidate. And he was like, "I'm not going to say that I'm announcing that I'm going to run in 2024, but I think if you want me to run in 24, well, then you're going to be very surprised when I do make an announcement. But I can't make it too early because of yada yada yada." And it was like, "Okay, like here we go with this." And the thing about this is to it's like, I think Trump had did some good things, um, some really terrible things, 
but some good things as far as like shaking up the United States government like a goddamn snow globe, right? And the f- the bullshitters really became very obvious in American politics, you know. And everybody Trump called, you know, part of the swamp. That, it, he just he just talked out of his ass, right? He's kind of a buffoon. Um, didn't vote for the guy. Wouldn't vote for the guy. You know, when it comes to COVID and masks and shit like that, I, I, I think about where we'd be now if Trump was president. And I think that we would have these, you know, blue states that have even pulled harder to the left and been more restrictive and just, and just it would just been a shit show. Um, all things considered, there was no win as far as that was going to go. Um, the states were always going to have the right to decide and the states decide that they need to toe the party line. They were going to do that regardless of what it is, even though Florida and Texas are making the rest of us look like idiots. Um, so I think about that and listening, you know, thinking about Trump running again, it's like, can we just end this clown show? Right? Like I'm not, I'm not a, I'm not a a neoliberal by any means. And I'm I'm probably not going to love that when Kamala Harris runs in 24 and I'm going to hope that she loses, but I really just, I can't with the Trump thing again. Like I just can't like get Ron DeSantis in there or somebody like that, or even Tim Scott, maybe, maybe they run together. I don't know what they're going to do. But I can't, I can't think that it's just me or that it's a minority of people who are not Democrats, right? I think a lot of Republicans, and you're seeing his, his approval ratings going down as he's been kind of deplatformed within the Republican Party. So you're seeing a majority of people now saying that they uh, trust the GOP over Trump. I think it's 50-some-odd, 30-some-odd, something like that, um, which is very low for him uh, because he's not out here you know, owning the libs on Twitter, I guess. And that's, that's making some shifts, and you're seeing – people start to make themselves noticed um, within the process, which I think is very good. I think it's very good. I think that'll be really helpful. And I'd like to see what the Republican Party can offer without Trump soaking all the all up, soaking up all the of all the air out of the room. You know, I want to see what they have to offer with, with all this is well, in a post Trump era, you know, after all this shit, if things have kind of in a, in a post COVID era, what has that done to the to the Republican Party? What do they have to offer? Where they, you know, and you're seeing things change, right? Like there's a, like Tim Scott was talking in his, in his address that we're going to cover a little bit of here um, about police reform and things like that. I think that's really great, and I think that generally speaking, because uh, Republicans have a, a generally have a better ability to focus on a thing, um, even though they're equally as corrupt, if not more corrupt than Democrats, <laughs> then. You know, I can't even say that. There's corruption everywhere. That was a little bit out of step for me. Um, but they do tend to when they they'll, they'll 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 try and fix a thing, right? They'll try and fix a thing and they'll ignore other things and be silly elsewhere. But they'll like f- pick a thing that's popular and try and focus on that while they're like, you know, warmongering in the background. Which is kind of what well, the sad thing is. It's kind of the best we can hope for at this point. Like I don't know, I don't know what's going to happen, right? I think that when you think about someone like Candace Owens running, right? She'll be old enough in twenty four. I don't think she'll run in twenty four, but maybe. It's like I think that Candace, people like Candace Owens, and I was thinking about this the other day because I've been watching Handmaid's Tale, um, ep- epic show by the way, very well written, really good show. But I think about that. I watch that show, and I'm like, I think Candace Owens and Charlie Kirk would thrive in this environment. Like this is this to, when I when I hear them talk about what they want America to look like, it looks a lot like Handmaid's Tale. That's a very scary idea and a very scary reality to think about when you think about these kind of like nationalist people. And I don't think there's a lot of value in nationalism. I think patriotism is great. I think nationalism is a problem because at the end of the day, unless you are an immigrant. You fell out of a person here. You did not earn your spot here. You know, maybe your family did, but who cares? 
You just kind of happen to be here. So be patriotic and protective of your environment, your culture, et cetera, et cetera. That, that can be great and that can be healthy. But I think that having this delusion that just because you live in a place, it's like a narcissistic delusion. If you, if you live in a place that therefore makes it better than other places, which is just a subjective, it's a subjective reality, right? Like there's lots of people who are expats of the United States who really enjoy living elsewhere. And that's fine. It's like, well, this place is better for me. Okay. Like you can't, there's not an argument that the United States is the best country in the world. And I've said that numerous times on this show. But it's odd. It's weird. I'm rambling quite a bit here. Let's get to let's get to the state of things. Make sure if you love this show to leave a review on Apple Podcasts and share it out in the world. On your social media, with your friends, with your parents, with your with your kids. I don't know. If your kids are old enough, I don't know how. We don't I don't know if we have a lot of older listeners here, but just put it out there. See what you can do. My chair is very squeaky and I apologize for that, but now let's get into the state of things. It's time. If you're a, a regular listener of this show or just somebody who knows what I'm about, you know that um, I do like to shit on the American healthcare system because it is trash. It is a rushing, a Russian nesting doll of bullshit. That's what the American healthcare system is, and it's a problem. I don't trust it. I don't like it. It's a scam, right? And, and there's a, a, an anecdote, a polite,ful anecdote about a friend of mine um, who actually is a, is a wealthy, is a wealthy guy, wealthy family. Um, and their kid, uh, who's like a teenager broke his jaw, right? He broke his jaw pretty badly and had to get his jaw wired shut. Really? I mean, can you imagine being, you know, in your like late teenage years and not being able to like open your mouth, right? You're living on protein shakes and like mashed up food. That's just, it's terrible, right? That's a terrible experience for a kid to have. I think he was playing basketball. He always broke his jaw. And they talk to the, you know, they have, this is a, that's a big operation. You have to do some surgery again, wire your mouth shut. It's, a, it's very intensive. And they said, right. It's like, well, how much is this going to be? Cause they didn't have insurance um, because they are wealthy and they can handle whatever came along. Right. Uh, they said, how much is this going to be? It was like $96,000, right? Like close to a hundred thousand dollars. And that was going to be built. That's if the operation, if the procedure was built through insurance, now, like, well, how much is the cash pay if we pay in cash? What's the discount? Which usually you can expect, right? Like I was going, I went and got an MRI a while back and if I would have ran it through my insurance, it would have been like 3,500 bucks If I paid cash. It was 650. So I paid cash. Um, even though I have insurance that I pay several hundred dollars a month for, they weren't going to cover it because it's a fucking scam. So you get a discount on that of like 60% or 70%, which is absurd. But they said with the cash discount on this hundred thousand dollar surgery, it was going to come out to like $10,000, a 90%, 90% cash discount for this operation, for this, for this procedure. And if that doesn't tell you that this system is fucking broken, 
I don't know what else will, but the New York Times put out this really fun video, and this is people from uh, other countries reacting to the American healthcare system. And for the podcast, this actually works with audio. I'll read off things if I need to, uh, but this is hilarious. This is great, I, and I always love when you have like Canadians or different people talking about the American healthcare system, and, and you have you know guys like Bill O'Reilly talking. You know, back when he was relevant before he was exposed for I don't know groping people or something. Um, <laughs> you have to look at our system and it's like America's holding the bag, right? Like we hold, we pay these crazy prices. We also have the most innovation when it comes to medical stuff. Um, but we just end up getting, holding the bag for everybody because they have organizations within their countries that, uh, do some price fixing when it comes to standard, uh, medical stuff, right? So like insulin is a very common medication, uh, that's going to be price fixed, right? They're going to make sure that there's minimal profits made, that it's able to be purchased by most people at a very reasonable rate. Um, we don't do that in the United States, right? We let the pharma companies and the insurance companies, which have a profit motive, set the prices for us uh, in, in something that people like to think is a free market, which is just the, the most delusional idea that I've ever heard uttered out of someone's face. But anyways, let's watch this video. It's about six minutes long. It's really fun. Um, and it'll just show you a little bit of what I'm concerned about and what I have a problem with in our current healthcare system, which, by the way, is what pushed me to be involved in politics and pushed me to be a Bernie Sanders supporter because everybody else is paid for by these motherfuckers. If healthcare is a constitutional right, then that's a form of communism because no country could afford those payments without seizing the assets of everybody else. <laughs> what? <laughs> Welcome to Finland. Oh, good stuff. Good times. Oh. <laughs> Dudes, what's going on? <gasps> oh my god! It's making me so mad. I, I mean, come on, guys. It's it's not that hard. Look around the world. Everyone else seems to have figured it out, right? Imagine you're in America. Which of these options would be best for you? Hmm, that's a, uh, yeah, that's, it's a lot to think about. What is it? An oop max. I guess with what I got here, I would go with plan D because the deductible is zero. Okay. It's right here for our listeners. They're just, they're, they're showing like all those different, when you, as if you've ever signed up for insurance, if it is not through your employer, especially you have like these gold HMO, gold, gold EPO, gold PPO, plan D. Here's your premium. Here's your deductible. Here's your copays. Here's your out of pocket max, which is the OOP. Like the, all that shit, which is like, oh, so overwhelming for any human being. I don't give a shit what level of intellect or what your IQ is. Like this is one of the things that is just incredibly confusing and watching people from other countries that have a nationalized healthcare system look at this is insane and, and this is you see this is pretty common right like right here uh, your premium is 525 a month copay is 35 and your out of pocket max is 7000 with a $0 deductible if your plan is like you know 250 $300 a month your deductible is like $10,000 you know it's just this crazy convoluted system there's there's more gold hmo uh ppo P-O-H-M-O. And what are co-pays? I, I don't get What are co-pays? Like you pay for Spotify <laughs> Premium, and Spotify still makes you pay every time you listen to a song. It's too complicated. I'm lost. I'm so lost. 
in Canada, I don't have to really think about the div, you know, different plans that I could pick from. You just pay one amount um, per month and all the major treatments are covered. At least 70% of our medical expenses are always covered. Uninsured, unable to afford treatment for a tooth infection, keeps flaring up. Oh. Cook Emma Rittner lost her job in March. I did manage to get antibiotics from a friend whose mom regularly goes down to Mexico, and I've been taking that, um, self-medicating, based off of Dr. Google's advice. Dr. Google's advice. So half Americans Here have healthcare coverage through an employer. Even if you lose a job, you would never lose your health insurance. When you lose your job, that's when society should help you. I've chosen a creative job and had the backing of a healthcare system. But if you don't have that, do you pick the safe job or do you pick the creative job? Solid point there, my friends. You like innovation. The average price per unit for insulin in 2018, Germany $11. Canada's $12. United States $98.70. It's like eight times the price of uh, insulin in Canada. I guess that explains why Americans come up to Canada to buy medication. (laughs) eh, Sorry, I'm sorry, hold on. So the FDA doesn't have any authority over the prices? We have also privatized health insurance companies in Germany, but the prices uh, are regulated by the government. The government negotiates the prices and fixes that price for two years. In Singapore, they regulate this stuff to keep the prices down and, you know, avoid like this happening. Right, so I'm looking at an American medical bill. Why is it so expensive? 420. $8,000 for rooms and such empty it's spaces. So what? Much cheaper to go Hilton Hotel than this one. <laughs> skin to skin after C-section is $39. I had to pay $39.35 to hold my baby after he was born. You need to pay money to hold a baby? 66% of bankruptcies in America are tied to medical My brother issues. Jamie, who's in a lot of our videos, was pretty badly injured. He's going to lose a couple fingers. Uh, if you can give a dollar or if you can give $5, every little bit will help him and his family. That's heartbreaking. I, I... So how people raise money on GoFundMe. GoFundMe should not be something that people have to resort to to pay for their medical bills. So in America, people spend more than twice as much as in Japan for healthcare. You know, if I paid twice the amount for a car, I would want the car to be twice as good. So what's what's the life expectancy in the U.S.? <laughs> Why is it less? The U.S. should be on top of both of those lists. Like, if you're charging your citizens that much money, then they better be living the longest lives. It, it, it doesn't make sense. When Alec turned 26, he was no longer allowed on his mother's insurance plan. Instead, he decided to pay for his insulin over the counter at list price. But the pharmacist told him a month's supply would be $1,300. He left empty-handed. Alec's official cause of death was diabetic ketoacidosis. 
a couple of years ago, I developed a heart condition and I had to have my heart restarted three times. Uh, after the third time I had it restarted, the doctor suggested I get heart surgery. When I was 13, I started to get sick and really, really sick. I was then very quickly admitted into hospital where after three weeks, I had treatment for a brain virus. The cost of the operation, I think, is about $60,000. Uh, and then uh, the next day, when I left the hospital and I got my bill, it was a bill for parking. It was about 30 bucks. I was treated by royal doctors, had several MRIs, lumbar punctures, all for free. So I, I was pretty happy that I, uh, I lived in Canada and had universal health care. I couldn't have survived if I was in America. To know that I can get sick, I can get injured, but I will still be taken care of. That is freedom. This is not freedom. This is not freedom. And I know that was a lot, and I hope you could get a lot out of that just from listening for the podcast listeners out there. But um, it's not. It's not. This is a this is a broken, broken joke of a system. And you think that, you know, Obama with the Obamacare situation was really just a blank check to fucking pharmaceutical companies and healthcare and health insurance companies. That's all that was. That was penalizing people for not paying buying into this fucking bullshit system, which of course it was because he was paid for by those same companies. Right. And the same thing. Trump talked a big game, didn't do a fucking thing. Biden's not going to do a fucking thing to do something like this. And I think a lot of it starts with holding health insurance companies and pharmaceutical companies accountable. I think a lot of it is looking at this and saying, hey, there's areas in the world where the free market makes the most sense ever. Right. And at the same time, this may not be one of them. Right. And we'll have, you know, my friend Sal Stefano is going to definitely time, chime in in the comments here and be like, well, innovation and free market. I don't see Lockheed Martin and Raytheon having any problem innovating with taxpayer dollars. I don't see the, the military industrial complex struggling with innovation at all. I mean, they just paid Microsoft 22 some odd billion dollars for VR headsets or augmented reality headsets for, for killing people. And then on top of that, we've got this incredibly corrupt food system where McDonald's and Coca-Cola decide what our health advice is. And all of this comes together in this perfect storm of fuckery that leaves people fat, sick, and dead. And then we're surprised, we're surprised that a, that a mild virus wipes out a gigantic part of the population, apparently, right? Half a million people or 600,000 people, however much it is now, and 80% of those deaths and hospital visits were obese people. So we've got a system that runs on people being unwell. And then wellness information is now censored on big tech platforms. So it's a weird system we have here. There's a lot going on, but I love watching people from other countries react to a $428,000 medical, uh, medical bill. And that was just for the room and the food. Room and board at a hospital. Don't know how long that person was there, but I can't imagine unless they were there for years that it would cost $428,000 even for an ICU bed. That's fucking insane. And those prices are set by the insurance companies. To think that this system is, is working properly because we... What? have like Because sometimes can, Canadians come down here for advanced surgeries. Okay, what about the general shit that most people deal with on a daily basis, like having a general physician, 
things like that. And then you hear people like Dan Crenshaw talking about his healthcare plan on Joe Rogan's podcast, which is fine. It's fine. I like to hear what conservatives have to say, but then fucking do something about it. Be loud about it. Stand up for it. Not don't, not make it a fucking afterthought for your complete political campaign. Just something to talk about every time you need to get elected. Because I haven't seen that shit go anywhere, Crenshaw. Because it seems like you're all fucking talk in an eye patch. That seems to be what you are as a, as a politician. Typical neoconservative. That that seems kind of cool. That's that's the brand of Dan Crenshaw, which is really disappointing to me because I thought that guy actually had the capacity to go somewhere. So we're seeing this all over the place, and I wanted to share that. Um, we'll we'll continue to rant on this because this is something that I'm very passionate about is the is the health of a nation, the fact that we're spending twice as much as people in other countries for mediocre healthcare with the lowest life expectancy due to things like what the pharmaceutical companies contribute to opioid epidemics and how our broken food system that thrives on corn and soy, which are poverty foods, has created this, this, this dumpster fire of health and left us, again, left us, even the healthy people, holding the bag for all of that. And if you have libertarians being like, well, you can't interfere with the government saying what's good or what's not good to eat. It's like, yeah, let's just, let's just all agree that sugar is kind of fucked. Right, that high fructose corn syrup shouldn't be consumed in mass. Right, like there's some pretty straightforward things here. And if you're going to tax alcohol and cigarettes at a higher level, why don't you tax Little Debbie at a higher level or Coca-Cola? But no, that sugar lobby is fucking strong. That's a strong instrument of American capitalism, and it's one of the reasons that people are rising up and moving towards something like socialism because they see this part of capitalism, this part of capitalism that fucking kills people and breaks people, and bankrupts people, and again, leaves the American people holding the bag while pharmaceutical companies and and insurance companies stack fucking paper. And if you think that's not broken, you're wrong. And I don't say that very often, but it's true. We've heard a lot of buzz, a lot of buzz about Trump's social media platform that he's been working on. He's been working behind the scenes, getting all, he's going to be very innovative. This is going to be some next level shit. So let's see what we have. The Daily Caller, a right, right wing outlet here says Trump not to launch his new communication platform. So I thought it was a social media platform, but it's a communication platform. Okay. So let's see what we have here. Former president Donald Trump launched his new communication platform on Tuesday that will allow him to communicate with followers after previously being banned from posting on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Fox news reported Trump's new platform is called from the desk of Donald day, Donald, Donald J Trump and appears to be supported by campaign nucleus, a creation of former campaign manager Brad Parscale, Fox News reported. Users can share content from the platform to other social media sites, but cannot interact with the former president's post, according to Fox News. So let's look at that. So he's gonna it allows him to communicate with his followers, but only in one direction. <laughs> so they can't actually comment or engage or have any kind of dialogue. It's just a press release, maybe? I got what is this? Um it says Quote, this is just one-way communication, a source told the outlet. This system allows Trump to communicate with his followers. I'm not sure they understand what the word communicate means. This is very, very, very entertaining. Uh, Social media platforms, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Snapchat banned Trump after the January 6th Capitol riots. As previously reported, the former president has since communicated with his followers through emails and his Save America PAC. So let's check out 
from the desk of Donald J. Trump. So it's actually just a page on his website. It's donaldjtrump.com slash desk. And essentially, the innovation that they've created here is a blog. This is a blog. You can make this on Squarespace in 20 minutes. Um, <laughs> they do have a, a promotional video here. Let's check this video out. I haven't actually watched this yet. Consign him and those who supported him in the Senate to the trash of history. Twitter permanently banning the Commander-in-Chief's personal account with 88 million followers. A beacon of freedom arises. <laughs> that was the dumbest shit I've ever seen in my life. A beacon of freedom arises. Oh my god! Oh, we got stuff here. He's mad about Liz Cheney. This is just. I'm gonna. I'm actually gonna subscribe to this. This is gonna be. This is fun as shit. Like if this is, this is what they came up with. They're like, hey, we've been telling people we need to do something. And it's just a fucking blog. It's amazing. This is a. This is a. This is Trump. This is Trump. This is the. This is the guy. This is the guy. Okay. Promises all this stuff, bells and whistles, big shiny stuff. It's this new platform. We're gonna be. It's gonna be great. It's gonna be amazing. It's gonna. It's gonna. It's gonna change the game. Uh, we're gonna take it to Twitter and <laughs> see the guy fucking <laughs> it created something that was possible in 1998. <laughs> the motherfucker made a blog. This is. Oh, this is too good. This is this is one of the most entertaining parts of my week was understanding exactly what from the desk of Donald J. Trump is like. This is. So I could make this on our website. Like this is my my website that we're making for politically homeless right now is going to be more advanced than, than this. Like you'll be able to submit videos and, and hotline stuff and like actually communicate and, and and ask questions and have dialogue. Like that's not even a function on here. And the, probably the reason is because they would then, you know, the, the comments and things like that, which would be probably be very, you know, there's going to be a lot of racist people on here and QAnon people and whatever, whatever. They don't want to become like this, this, if they did allow comments on this, it would become 4chan or 8chan or 8kun or whatever it is now. That's what it would become a dumpster fire. So they can't do that because that would be a PR nightmare. So they just have created a blog. That's it. And I think there's somebody behind the scenes that had to be like, hey, Donnie boy, um, big Don. If you create a social media platform, it will turn into a fucking nightmare. It will be the next 8chan. Like Q will be posting on there. Q, <laughs> aka Ron, whatever his name is, Ron Swanson, Ron, whatever that guy's name is. Uh, yes, this is, this is hilarious. And I had to share this because Trump's communication platform is a fucking blog. That's it from the desk of Donald J. Trump. People wanted me to chime in on this whole Tim Scott thing. And, and he gave a response to Biden's address to Congress. I find, I just, I don't care that much, but it was pretty popular that people sent me stuff and I was like, you know what? We'll talk about it. We'll talk about it because it's just, it's just like, this is a bunch of posturing right now. This is what's happening in the, in the Republican party is like they're putting out little, it's like going to Costco, right? They have little samples out. They're putting out little samples like, Ooh, you like this? You like this little, little meat, little, you know, mini weenie, one of the little chips and little 
chips and queso, huh? Like we got a little queso fountain. Like that, that's what the Republican Party's doing right now. They're just putting out samples and seeing what lands. And right now that's exactly what this is with Tim Scott. They'll probably keep doing something similar with different potential candidates for 2024 um, throughout the next couple of years. Pretty standard stuff. But here's just a little segment of what Tim had to say. And then we'll move on to the response from CNN and just kind of break it all down. Our president seems like a good man. His speech was full of good words, but President Biden promised you a specific kind of leadership. He promised to unite a nation. Our nation is starving for more than empty platitudes. We need policies and progress that brings us closer together. But three months in, the actions of the president and his party are pulling us further and further apart. Okay, I'll stop it right there for just a second. I can't... I don't understand what grounds the Republicans have to stand on when it comes to divisiveness, right? Like they're not exactly stewards of unity. I don't under, like it's it's always the party that's out of power that's like we need common ground, we need unity, and it's like you motherfuckers weren't saying that like four years ago, right? Like that wasn't that was by no means the way you were behaving. That's not how you were behaving whenever you had the Congress and Obama was president. So shut the fuck up with that fucking bullshit. That is empty platitudes. You just said the world needs something that's not platitudes while just then regurgitating a bunch of fucking platitudes that only resonate with your, with your Republic, with your uh, party. That's it. So it's, it's the same fucking bullshit on both sides. It drives me crazy. Today, Cues are being taught that the color of their skin defines them again. This will resonate. And if they with look a certain way, they're an oppressor. From colleges to corporations to our culture, people are making money and gaining power by pretending we haven't made any progress at all. By doubling down on the divisions we've worked so hard to heal. You know this stuff is wrong. Hear me clearly. America is not a racist country. It's so this is what people got all riled up about, right? America is not a racist country. There are arguments being made on both sides of this issue. Okay. Like westward expansion was a genocide. I had somebody argue with me and telling me that westward expansion was not a genocide when a genocide by definition is the eradication of part or whole of a people or a group, right? Eradication of a group in part or in whole. If you do not think that's what happened to the Native Americans, well, I don't know what to tell you. You're fucking wrong. That's exactly what was going on. It was a genocide. Candace Owens can be like, well, they were killing each other before. It's like, that doesn't fucking matter, right? There was unity among them whenever westward expansion was happening because they were getting eradicated, okay? And that was the goal. They were not seen as human. It's the same way the slaves were, and that was the foundation of this country's economy. Okay, so yes, the foundation of this country was very much built on racism and genocide and imperialism. Okay, that is a fact. I'm sorry if that hurts your fucking feelings. Is the country a racist country now, today? Well, it still has lingering impacts of things that were really fucked up. And that's if you deny that, you're also delusional. If you think this, that systemic racism is it's everywhere to be seen and you see racism in every single little fucking thing. You're also delusional and searching for something and part of the problem because that rhetoric isn't necessarily productive and the, the racism is everywhere. Rhetoric isn't really productive and that it doesn't exist. It's not productive. Like there needs to be an honest accountability 
from our nation as a whole. And the, the, the extremes on both sides are just clouding it, the whole thing with a bunch of bullshit. So we can't actually get to the key issues and solve some fucking problems. And I don't think this rhetoric actually helps. Now he does talk about how original sin isn't the whole story, which is some Christian kind of overlapping fuckery there, which is fine, but there needs to be honest accountability. And I don't dislike Tim Scott, and I think he's doing a pretty decent job, and they're putting up somebody who can actually articulate this really well. Um, but we got to be honest about what's going on here. Backwards to fight discrimination with different types of discrimination. That's true. And it's wrong to try to use our painful past to dishonestly shut down debates in the present. Also a very valid point. Nowhere do we need common ground more desperately than in our discussions of race. That is also, there's that's three really solid points right there. We need common ground in our discussions of race. That doesn't mean we can't have debate, but we need common ground when it comes to discussions of race and solving problems that exist along racial lines. And I do like that he's speaking to that and not in this denialism. I have experienced the pain of discrimination. I know what it feels like to be pulled over for no reason. To be followed around the store while I'm shopping. I've also experienced a different kind of intolerance. I get called Uncle Tom and the N-word by progressives. And let's be clear, that is fucking racist. By liberals. We are not adversaries. We are family. We are all in this together. And we get to live in the greatest country on earth. All right, so that's what he had to say. Now let's move on. I wanted to pull up what CNN's kind of quick coverage was here. They had Van Jones and a few other people chiming in on this, and we'll see what their line is, what their rhetoric is with CNN's uh, token black man. What did you think of Tim Scott? Well, look, I think they were smart to put Tim Scott up there. Um, you know, uh, he, he's he's sort of you know the Biden of his party in that he you know he he comes across warm, authentic. He tells the stories, that kind of stuff. The problem isn't the messenger. The messenger was great. But the message was nonsense. He, somehow we forgot to notice that Biden is dividing the country. I mean, that doesn't make any sense. Um, you know, he's, he, he acts like the, the, all the division in the country, that's what he wants to talk about, is coming from one side. That doesn't make any sense. But he lo- That's a valid point, too. Because you can sit here and say, like, oh, Biden's dividing the country. Like, that's, this country was super divided before Biden got into office. And to, and to say that he is responsible for the divisiveness in this country is like saying that Donald Trump is responsible for every COVID death. Those are both fucking silly ass things to say. Lost a lot of African-Americans by the tens of millions when he said America is not a racist nation. Look, you can say that we're getting better. You can say that we have a, you know, we've come a long way. But when you look at these numbers, when you look at these statistics, it is very clear that this country is, is, is uh, still struggling with racism. We still have racism showing up in almost every institution. So I thought he did himself a disservice. I want to stop there. I don't think almost every institution is necessarily accurate. Um, it's a little hyperbolic, but, but everything you said before that is valid. By jumping you know, that shark unnecessarily, uh, that said, there's a reason they put him up. He's the best they've got. He can give that message. He can talk about all. He can, he, can, he, can, he can try to polish up all of the Republican nonsense without the sharp edges better than the rest of them. What's amazing to me is how different he sounds from all the other Republicans. Right. And, and, and so 
uh, again, it, it's, it's almost a tell yeah. Yeah. that the rest of the party is in such bad shape well, that you've got to put him up there. Where was Donald Trump? He, does, he, does, he did touch a lot of those really big touchstones for conservatives, you know, uh, flaying the experts, flaying Washington, invoking socialism. I thought he probably scored some points with a lot of people on the school issue. There are a lot of parents in this country who are frustrated. Very, very, very true that schools didn't open uh, more quickly. But on your point, your first point, he did say at the end, original sin is not the end of our story. So he's acknowledging mm -hmm. this history, even as he is making this proclamation that racism is not, you know, the American, th this is part of our story. Yeah. And what people are saying is we need to confront it mm -hmm. and we need to understand it. So he, he conflict, he, you know, he conflicted with himself. You know, what also struck me was that this was not a message that was a Donald Trump message mm -hmm. at all. He was not speaking to the base of the party, except in one area where he was refusing to give uh, Joe Biden any credit on COVID-19. He said the tide had already turned on COVID-19 when... Um, when Biden became president. And of course, everybody understands that Operation Warp Speed happened under Joe Biden, but getting vaccines into arms was uh, a Biden operation. You know, Evan just she misspoke there, and we're going to cut it off right there, but she said Operation Warp Speed happened under Trump, and then getting shots into arms happened under Biden, and they don't want to give any credit for that. And the thing about it is, there's an argument to be made on both sides of that as well. Like, Biden has done a decent job as far as getting vaccine out. If you think that's a good thing, okay, whatever, it needed to happen. So he's done a good job there, and Trump set the infrastructure for that. Both are true, and you can argue both sides of that and get nowhere. It's one of those that's really like you're running on a hamster wheel trying to argue either one of those sides. If you're pandering to a certain base, it makes sense. But if you're not part of either one of those bases, well, then you see that for exactly what it is, which is bullshit fodder. That's just trying to to, to make a point that is, is really irrelevant and doesn't fucking have any bearing on reality because what's happening is happening. And both, both people, Donald Trump and Joe Biden, have either set the infrastructure or continue that infrastructure, it doesn't really matter because it is what it is. And that's just a, a non-point to me. But seeing their breakdown of this, I mean, you can see here, and this is something I want to point out because this is part of the politically homeless um, kind of ideology here, is there's valid points on both sides. There's valid points on both sides of these issues, and that may upset some people in the Instagram comments, and I understand that, but I don't really give a shit because it's fucking true. And if we sit here and act out of integrity just to pander to a base, we're no better than anybody else, right? That's a really easy way to grow an audience. It's a really easy way to get engagement. It's one of those things. Pick a side, right? That's the way to do it. You pick a side, you pick on one side, you beat that drum, and you grow your audience or you grow your base or you feed them what they already want because it's good for ratings or followers or likes or whatever. When I think it's really important to acknowledge there's validity on both sides of these arguments and you got to look at this more from a standpoint of what do you think, who do you think has the best potential to create solutions and not just more anger, frustration, and fear, right? It, it, that, that's where it comes, comes to play because Democrats maybe do too much and Republicans maybe don't do enough, right? So there needs to be some like either curtailing on, on the left or expansion on the right to kind of meet the times that, that we're in. And, and you're seeing that being really, it's like square pegging a round hole, um, on both sides, and it's really hard to watch. But I wanted to cover that and jump into that just a little bit um, because I think it is important to hear kind of the response to both sides from, you know, a Republican, obviously a, 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 a senator, right, 
And then from, you know, CNN, which is the, the paramount fake news if you're coming from the right. So valid points on both sides. It is what it is. And we're seeing kind of, I think one, one of the reasons to keep up with stuff like this is because you're going to start seeing the talking points be flushed out over the next couple of years going into that 2024 election and going into the midterm as well. Like which ones, what, what what's the data on what's getting people riled up? And it's most likely going to be stuff that's not solution driven. And that's one of my biggest criticisms here is that these things are are good at, at, at angering people and incur, and kind of spurring them to action to vote, but they actually don't have any tangible, concrete solutions because those aren't as sexy and they're not as fun to retweet. And we got to keep that in mind. This is one of the things about being pragmatic and level-headed and grounded when you look at politics and understand the impact of politics is knowing who actually has the solutions and who's just manipulating you for a vote. Today's episode is brought to you by our friends over at Elemental Labs, the creator of Element, L-M-N-T. It is a salty magnesium and electrolyte beverage that is just delicious, just delicious. And they have this watermelon flavor they just came out with for the summer, and goddamn is it delicious. It's just so, I just keep saying delicious. There's no other real word to describe except maybe hydrating. It's delicious and hydrating. It gives you the things you need. And we're coming up on summer now. In summer, people get a little thirsty, all right? And as we talked about on the show, like birth rates have gone down and people need to probably increase their thirst uh, for the D or the P. But right now, we're talking about the thirst for the LMNT, right? The real thirst, the hydration kind of thirst. And now, if you're doing paleo, if you're doing carnivore, if you're doing anything, anything low carb, if you're just getting out and sweating your ass off, if you're in the sauna, things like that, you need to prioritize hydration and electrolytes. I know that electrolytes were, you know, are kind of a buzz term and they're in Gatorade. You don't need that shit. Okay. So Element is really, there's no sugar, obviously. It's created by Rob Wolf, somebody who absolutely changed my life when it comes to nutrition and actually thinking about politics. Guy's kind of a libertarian and I like it. But um, anyways, <laughs> this stuff is fantastic. I drink it at least once a day, if not twice a day. It does a few things. One, I just feel super hydrated. And I live in Denver, so I'm at higher elevation a lot. I put in a lot of miles in the backcountry during elk season. I keep it on me all the time. Okay, I'm about to get into doing some really long, like 10-mile hikes um, per day, uh, just trying to get prepped and putting up trail cameras and scouting and things like that. Like I'm going to be pounding this stuff. Uh, super, super helpful. So that's really great. If you're living in somewhere like Texas or Florida where it's hot, you're going to be sweating. You know that if you live in Austin, Texas, and I know a lot of you guys listening to this show live in Austin, sweating through your shirt becomes a normal thing. If you're sweating through your shirt, that means you need to get hydrated, son. Okay, so hit this in the morning. Drink this before your coffee. And if you want to curve some cravings, right, it's got a little bit of a sweet bitterness to it, like that the kind of sweet, salty combo that's very satiating. That is so helpful for curving cravings at night if you want to get super hydrated and take one of the best pisses in your life in the morning. Now, they have a special promotion uh, if you're vaccinated. If you've got a vaccine, if you've got either one or both doses of the vaccine, and you send in your vaccine card, a photo of your vaccine card, to their uh, Instagram, the Element's Instagram, they will tell you uh, that no one cares. Yeah, so they'll let you know. That's actually a gift from Element, that they'll let you know that no one cares that you're vaccinated. Um, and then if you go to drinklmnt.com slash wanders, you can get a variety pack for $5. has nothing to do with your vaccine, but they give you the gift of letting you know that no one actually gives a fuck if you're vaccinated or not, um, which I think is really just a gift that keeps on giving. It really is. So go check it out. Drink 
com slash wanders. Get that eight pack variety set of element. Get yourself hydrated. Stay moist, baby. And hey, how about this? This has nothing to do with element, but get out to the club. Get out to a bar. Have a drink. Get yourself a little hungover and then drink element before you go to bed. See if it helps your hangover. Drink it the next day. See if it helps with the hangover. Maybe mix a little bit of that watermelon with a little bit of the lemon habanero. Put a little tequila in that. That's a great beverage for you for the summertime. That's a great That's a great beverage for you when you have more than 10 people over your house for a gathering. Enjoy your fucking life and do it with element. Drink elementy.com slash wanders. Variety pack. Just cover shipping. stay moist out there and stay safe and no one cares if you're vaccinated. Bill and Melinda Gates are on the split, baby. They are getting divorced and this is some major news as things go on. So Bill and Melinda Gates, $130 billion split. Microsoft's founder's wife, 56, files for divorce, citing her marriage to 65-year-old is irretrievably broken and court documents revealed that there is no prenup, no prenup. So they announced on Twitter in a joint statement that they're getting divorced, that they don't feel that they can grow together anymore, which we, you know, these statements like they're bullshit, right? Like what is actually the real question is here. And this has got conspiracy theorists all riled up and the memes, the memes have just been out of control. They have been incredible. Some of the best memes, the meme drought of 2021 is over because of the split of Bill and Melinda Gates. Now, this $130 billion kind of estate. They have properties everywhere. Bill Gates is the owner of the most farmland uh, in America, which is a very odd thing for him to be into, but you know, it's Bill Gates. Their houses are insane. They got a bunch of cars, a private jet, all that stuff. And now it's clear to me that there's really one of two um, reasons why this might happen, right? Either uh, they are both clones from some kind of Illuminati lab that are there to really push their depopulation agenda, or um, Melinda was actually a cyborg created by Microsoft to be a life partner to Bill Gates, and she's probably malfunctioning, so they're going to take her consciousness from that cyborg, upload it into a new version, and then have that person stand in as the next um, kind of wife of Bill Gates. So given that she's probably not technically a human, maybe she won't get that much in the split, or maybe just enough to make it look real. Who knows? But this was really astonishing to me. So I've never really looked at the map. By the way, their daughter, their youngest daughter, looks like she's going to spill the beans on this whole thing. Like she's that that's that's she's got a look of darkness in her face and that's really really interesting to me. I'm curious to see where that goes. But if we look down here at this map, this is crazy. There's so much stuff. Their houses are insane. Really beautiful, honestly. So land owned by Bill Gates by state. So 16,000 acres in Washington, 9,000 in Idaho, 4,500 in California, 25,000 in Arizona, one acre in New Mexico is probably just a property uh, house, um, 2,200 in Colorado, 975 in Wyoming, 20,000 in Nebraska, like just goes all the way across 14,000 in Florida, 69,000 in Louisiana, 16,000 Mississippi. Like this guy owns a ton of land, which is a great place to hold money, by the way, if you want to just like put money into something. And a lot of their money is tied up into tax exempt charities and organizations and stuff like that. So how much of it is liquid and what's going to get split up and how it's going to get split up? We don't know. But this is really interesting, and I'm curious to see what turns out here. This is like one of those things where it just seems to be 
there's going to be a lot of like circulation of crazy shit. Like, um, we'll, we'll see, you know, but I think, you know, if you listen to Alex Jones and, and I do like to listen to dabble in some Alex Jones every now and then you've got to remember that Bill Gates did have a pretty close relationship with Jeffrey Epstein. And if you're the wife of Bill Gates, that's got to weigh on you pretty heavily, right? Knowing that your husband was like homies with the, you know, the runner of a, of a pedophilia network, right? So, um, that, that can't have been good for their marriage, especially cause they have two younger daughters. So that, that, they probably put a little bit of a strain and we gotta be honest here. Like Bill Gates is pretty hated across most of the world. Like he's used some, this is not, this is evidence there's evidence to support that he like used um certain vaccines that didn't really pan out that well um gave some people polio like a lot of even the even some of the covid vaccines are being banned in different in different countries like this is just what it is and i know it's got to also be heavy on a marriage but we're gonna follow this and see what happens i, I hope she writes some kind of tell-all but she might also meet the fate of mr epstein himself um because there's a lot of power behind old billy g all right, Billy G has got a lot. He can flex hard, and if you think that Bill Gates can't get somebody, get somebody got, get somebody suicided, who knows? And I don't, you know, I don't want to put my tinfoil hat on yet or anything like that. But we'll see what happens here. Had to cover it. Not a lot of news. I mean, we can go into like their estates and stuff like that, but that's pretty fucking boring. I mean, they have a lot of estates and a lot of property and a lot of a lot of things to split up. I don't know how they're gonna what they're gonna do with the jet. I'm assuming he will get the jet or just buy another one. It's no big deal because climate change clearly isn't a problem since you can bounce around the world on your own private jet, sir. Um, anyways, so yeah, that's where we're at with that. That's 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 the Bill Gates situation. Not going to spend too much time on it, but worth noting that she's definitely a cyborg or clone and her consciousness will be uploaded into a new version um, that is younger, pretty, but not too pretty. Um, and more compliant and maybe an updated version, maybe a new uh, software or firmware update uh, happening within the Melinda Gates bot. We shall see. Well, the CIA launched a recruitment video um, featuring a cisgender millennial who is unapologet unapologetically herself. Um, so let's check out what the CIA is using to recruit people into their uh, criminal organization. Let's check this out. When I was 17, I quoted Zora Neale Hurston's How It Feels to Be Colored Me in my college application essay. The line that spoke to me stated simply, I am not tragically colored. There is no sorrow dammed up in my soul nor lurking behind my eyes. I do not mind at all. At 17, I had no idea what life would bring, but Zora's sentiment articulated so beautifully how I felt as a daughter of immigrants then and now. Nothing about me was or is tragic. I am perfectly made. I can wax eloquent on complex legal issues in English while also belting Guayaquil de mis amores in Spanish. I can change a diaper with one hand and console a crying toddler with the other. I am a woman of color. I am a mom. I am a cisgender millennial who's been diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder. I am intersectional, but my existence is not a box-checking exercise. For it not being a box checking exercise, you sure just checked a shitload of boxes. I am a walking declaration, a woman whose inflection does not rise at the end of her sentences, suggesting that a question has been asked. I did not sneak into CIA. 
My employment was not and is not the result of a fluke or slip through the cracks. I earned my way in and I earned my way up the ranks of this organization. I am educated, qualified, and competent. And sometimes I struggle. I struggle feeling like I could do more, be more to my two sons. And I struggle leaving the office when I feel there's so much more to do. I used to struggle. She didn't know that she struggles toppling uh, foreign governments for America's benefit. Um, or maybe, I don't know, like struggling with knowing that your organization was responsible for MK Ultra or the Bay of Pigs. Like there's a lot that we could go into here, but that doesn't seem to bother you. You struggle that you could be a better parent, um, but maybe not a better human being because you're working for a criminal domestic surveillance or operation. That's that. What do you, what is your job even? We don't even know. But like, th th those are your major concerns. You work at the fucking CIA and those are your major concerns. Not their influence, not Operation Mockingbird, like none of those things. Like what, why is that not something that like, I don't know, but put that out there. Like I, that's what I would be concerned about if I was at the CIA. Maybe the fact that uh, Snowden and Assange are still, um, you know, like not allowed in the country under penalty of death uh, be, for exposing your fucking bullshit. Maybe that's something that you could be concerned about, about how, how that's just a complete infringement of, of, the, of, the, uh, of the Constitution. So I don't know. We'll, we'll, let's see what else she has to say. Struggle with imposter syndrome, but at 36, I refuse to internalize misguided patriarchal ideas of what a woman can oh, wow. or should be. Oh, wow. I am tired of feeling like I'm supposed to apologize for the space I occupy rather than intoxicate people with my effort, my brilliance. I am proud of me. Full stop. My parents left everything they knew and loved to expose me to opportunities they never had. Uh, you know who didn't have opportunities? Uh, all the Jews that were killed in World War II, thanks to the Nazis that then the CIA recruited um, in Operation Paperclip. Like those people's parents were killed, and lots of children were killed as well. Uh, gas chambers, you know, like the whole thing, like Auschwitz, concentration camps, Nazis. But no, the CIA recruited those Nazis that oversaw those death camps that murdered tens of thousands of Jews um, just, you know, for science. So maybe think about that as well when you think about people sacrificing something for you. Because of them, I stand here today a proud first-generation Latina and officer at CIA. I am unapologetically me. I want you to be unapologetically you, whoever you are. I want the CIA to fucking apologize for war crimes. That would be fantastic. So this is what we have now is the CIA running some fucking virtue signaling bullshit to cover up for their fucking crimes. This is insane. Like, it, <laughs> do we need to go into the JFK assassination and how fucking sketchy that was when he said he was going to splinter the CIA and throw them to the wind? Like the, the CIA, Jesus Christ, they have so much domestic surveillance. They can read the Google doc that I'm re that I have for my notes on right now. They can hear this right now. That's what the CIA is. I wouldn't be surprised if my fucking house exploded right now for saying this. Like that is what the CIA is. To think that you're like doing some kind of uh, some kind of good for humanity by working at the CIA and, and being intersectional while not checking boxes is one of the most delusional things I've ever heard in my life. A real American, a real patriot, a real somebody who's really standing up for themselves would be criticizing the CIA to no end for what they've done in this country and outside of this country. Toppling foreign domestic, uh, democratically elected leaders in other countries, boom, doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. If they're doing something we don't like, if we need their resources, well. 
whatever. We can protect the poppy fields in Iran because we need that. <laughs> we need we need all our opioids to keep everybody subdued. The CIA takes care of that for us, right? How about how about smuggling in cocaine to pay for the contras? Like, is that a thing? Remember the Reagan era when that was happening, the crack epidemic and the war on drugs while simultaneously uh, selling drugs and allowing drugs through our borders that would go mostly go to black communities? That was also the CIA. How, how far do we need to go here? There's a, a fucking laundry list of, of, of uh, CIA fronts. If you just Google, or don't use Google, DuckDuckGo, CIA front companies, you will find a PDF that is like 17 pages long. Right? How about COINTELPRO? Like what? <laughs> their association with the Manson family. Should I go on? Should I continue? The fucking CIA. Give me a fucking break, really? Because they're intersectional, and there's a woman of color with that's diagnosed anxiety disorder. Like who gives a shit, really? Like this could work for Nike maybe or something like that. Even though they use slave labor from China to make their shoes, right? Just increase those profit margins because the bottom line. The bottom line, <laughs> this is fucking insane. Insane. Oh, the fucking CIA. Give me a break. U.S. birth rates fall to the lowest point in more than a century. Now, this is some interesting stuff here. So um, the U.S. birth rate fell 4% last year, largest single-year decrease in nearly 50 years. Now, there's a lot of contributors to this, but let's just see what this article has to say. This is from The Independent. Um, da, 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 da. the rate dropped for moms of every major race and ethnicity and in nearly every age group following to falling to the lowest point since federal health officials started tracking it more than a century ago. Births have been declining in younger women for years as many have postponed motherhood and had smaller families. Birth rates for women in their late thirties and in their forties have been inching up, but not last year. The fact that you saw declines in births, even for older moms is quite striking. Uh, the CDC report is based on a review of more than 99% of birth certificates issued last year. The findings echo a recent Associated Press analysis of the 2020 data from 25 states showing that births had fallen during the coronavirus outbreak because nobody's fucking. Uh, the pandemic no doubt contributed to last year's big decline, experts say. Anxiety about COVID-19 and its impacts on the economy likely caused many couples to think that having a baby right then was a bad idea. Yeah, put me in that category. Um, but many of the 2020 pregnancies came well before the U.S. pandemic. Many, All of my friends I know that were preg that, that had babies during the pandemic were pregnant before, uh, before March, right? So they were already um, doing the thing before the pandemic happened. Um, but many of the 2020 pregnancies, da, 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 about 3.6 million babies were born in the U.S. last year, down from 3.75 million in 2019. When births were booming in 2007, the U.S. recorded 4.3 million births. The USA birth rate dropped about 56 births per 1,000 women, or dropped to about 56 births per, per 1,000 women of childbearing age, the lowest rate on record. All right, so let's get into some age groups. The birth rate for 15 to 19-year-olds dropped 8% from 2019. It's fallen almost every year since 1991. Well, I think the birth rate from 15 to 19 has a lot to do with Jeffrey Epstein dying. So that, that probably contributed. That's a major con contribution to that. I think I figured that one out. That's a pretty easy puzzle to solve. Uh, birth rates fell 8% for Asian-American women, 3% for Hispanic women, 4% for black and white women, and 6% for moms who are American Indians or Alaskan Natives. Okay, so we're seeing 
birth rates decline. Now, there was recently somebody on Joe Rogan's podcast talking about plastics. I covered that on here too, how chemicals are decreasing sperm count, which is making it harder to get pregnant, also making your PP a little smaller, which is, let's be honest, a little bit of a problem. Like you don't need like the biggest dong in the world to get it done, but you need a little bit of dong to work with. You know what I'm saying? Like it's just a little harder to do what you got to do and be secure in yourself without a little meat all right, a little meat on the bone, if you so to so to speak. But the thing about it is, people aren't fucking okay. And there's a lot of reasons not to be fucking. One, this country is divided into two camps. Well, two big camps, and then one small politically homeless camp. Um, and I think people that are politically homeless are probably are probably fucking a little bit more. Okay, I think the people in my Patreon are probably getting dicked down and dicking down on the reg. All right. So it's not, we didn't do anything wrong. This isn't about us here. All right. But you know, you, you've just taken your dating pool and cut it in half because you can't, you know, if you're a Trump supporter, you can't fuck a Biden supporter. If you're a Biden supporter, you can't, you know, and politics has infected everything in our lives. It's basically a sexually transmitted disease. So we have this situation here where nobody's wanting to bone. Right. And then you have complete unrest. You got people that are too busy uh, in Antifa burning down convenience stores and footlockers and, and, and stealing Nikes to, to, to get back to what they need to be doing, which is fucking, you know what I'm saying? But also the birth rate going down and not replacing it. It's actually lower than the replacement rate. It's probably a good thing because there's too many people. Okay, I'm not, I don't want a global depopulation agenda by any means, but there's too many people and it's a hard thing to disagree with, right? So maybe this is a really good thing and shouldn't scare us, but we also need to understand why it's happening. And if it's happening because people are terrified, that's one thing, but it's happening because people are more educated or waiting, things like that, wait until they're in their 30s um, to have kids. I think that's a positive thing. I think it's a bad idea to have a kid when you're in your 20s. You know, maybe a little bit before you're ready is good. Maybe I waited a little too long, but, you know, get your shit together. Live your life a little bit. Get out and get a little wild, you know, get a little kinky, get a little freaky, you know, make some bad decisions, like have a good time with yourself. And it's hard to do that when one, you can't even like go out to Whole Foods and, and find some strange because everybody's got masks on. You got to socially distance. Like there ain't nothing wrong with a little bump and grind. You know what I'm saying? You feel me? We need a little bit of that in our lives. We need to go get sweat on by strangers. That's America. America is going to a club and getting sweat on by someone you don't know and not even knowing their name at the end of the night. That's the American dream. And we're sitting here scared of each other. We're scared of each other. Now, if we weren't already scared of dicks and pussies as it was, now we're just scared of the whole body. You can get over being scared of a dick or a pussy, but you can't get over being scared of a whole person. That takes some time. You know, how about the kids that are going to grow up terrified of each other? How's that going to go? You know what I'm saying? Now, maybe that'll lead to something like more kids getting involved in a very pleasurable practice called mutual masturbation when they're coming up instead of like just having sex at younger ages. That could be a good thing. That should be a part of sexual education. But no, we don't do that because that would be weird. But he's like, dude, we're terrified of each other. We don't like each other. There's a lot of tension, lots of anxiety, lots of fear. That isn't conducive for a quality sexual experience, unless that's your kink. Maybe your kink is putting on a hazmat suit and going to town, right? With only one part of your body exposed. Or maybe you have a hole in the hazmat suit for them titties. Who knows? But if that's not you, then you're in a bad situation here. And it's hard to date right now. You're kind of resorting to just apps, which is, you know, how most people meet each other anyways. But, like, you can't just, like, meet, run into somebody at the coffee shop and go say, hey, what's up? And, like, have a conversation. You know what I mean? 
You can't have somebody, you know, spit in your mouth that you just met 30 minutes ago. Who We don't have that anymore. And that's a beautiful part of life. It's a beautiful part of life. You know? I don't know. I don't know. I just feel like I don't think we need to have more people. I don't think we have a shortage of people in this country. Uh, but I would be I would be lying if I didn't say that people needed to fuck a little better and a little more. You know what I mean? Like a little bit better sex. Right? I think we need more quality and quantity of sex with less children, which is a hard thing to wrap your mind around because it seems like they kind of conflict with one another, but you got to be smart with it. You got to be smart with it. So dicking down has got, has reached all time low rates. I would love to see that. What is the birth rate compared to the amount of fucking that's going on? I need a, I need a chart that, that charts the amount of fucks that are being fucked. You know what I'm saying? So that's where we're at. That's where we're at. So, um, you know, Jeff Repstein's uh, death did contribute to the decrease in pregnancies among teenage girls and people don't want to, you know, sweat on each other and spit in their mouths. You know, people aren't, people aren't doing that kind of thing anymore. And in my opinion, that's an infringement on life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness. Pfizer brought in $5.3 billion from COVID-19 vaccine sales in the first three months of 2021. Let's continue reading this article from Business Insider. Pfizer on Tuesday reported its financials for the first three months of 2021. The pharmaceutical brought in over $3 billion from sales in its, of its coronavirus vaccine. It expects to generate more than $26 billion in revenue from the shot through the rest of the year. Oh, Pfizer has sold hundreds of millions of doses of its COVID-19 vaccine to the United States and even more around the globe, resulting in more than $3.5 billion in revenue during the first three months. Yada, yada, yada. The first, our sales of the two-shot vaccine made up nearly a quarter of the pharmaceutical giant's first quarter revenues of $14.6 billion. Easily the biggest income driver through the company has been tight though the company has been tight-lipped about how those sales translate to profits. Of course they have because they're fucking scumbags. Um, shares of Pfizer were a little changed. Da, 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 da. Pfizer now expects to deliver a total of 1.6 billion vaccine doses in 2021, generating 26 billion in revenue. That's up significantly from previously previous forecasts of 15 billion. The company now says 2021 revenues will fall between 70.5 and 72.5 billion and more than uh, much more than a $10 billion increase over prior guidance. The vaccine tailwinds from the shot will likely carry on to 2022. Of course, in April, Pfizer CEO, Albert Barala said people may need a booster shot 12 months after the first dose. <laughs> and the company said Tuesday, it expects to have, uh, have the capacity to produce 3 billion doses in 2022. <laughs> <laughs> Based on what we've seen, we believe that a durable demand for our COVID-19 vaccine, similar to that of flu vaccines, is a likely outcome. Of course it is. Of course it is. Now, what we're seeing here, and I think that you you kind of get the point. It's kind of more and more finance stuff, talking about how much money they stand to make from their COVID vaccine. So what we're seeing here is that if you fund the media and you fund uh, the doctor's education system and you fund the politicians and you make sure that the taxpayers hold the bag for any research through taxpayer dollars and grants to universities, you get fucking paid. It is a great system. It's a great system to make sure these motherfuckers get paid. 
And this is just out of control. Of course, there's going to be a booster shot. And I'm curious if people in three or five years are still going to be taking photos while they're getting their booster shot and holding their card up to virtue signal to everyone how 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 important their health is to them while they go to Krispy Kreme and grab a free donut and shove it down their gullet. That's where we're at right now. That's where we're at. Now, the other companies, uh, not BioNTech and Pfizer, have, have, have committed to not making a profit from the vaccine uh, until the pandemic is underway. But Pfizer's like, fuck that, dude. Cash rules everything around me. Capitalism, baby. That's where we're at. Oh, by the way, for those countries that actually need the vaccine, and can manufacture it. Um, between us and Bill Gates, we've kind of decided that they don't really get it. We're going to keep this patent for a while because uh, dollar dollar bills, y'all. <laughs> can you believe this shit? Can you believe the American healthcare system? I mean, really, really. This is this is the world we live in. This is the world we live in. Where it's like, oh, hey, by the way, you got this thing, but you're gonna need more of this thing in a few years. Which people aren't gonna, people are gonna fall off, right? They're like, this is fucking stupid. Like, <laughs> do I need this booster? They're like, you need the booster, and then it's gonna be a huge thing. And whoever the president is at the time will be like, whatever. And then politicians will get behind it, and influencers are gonna be like, it's important to get the booster shot, even though I don't. You know, the whole thing, the whole thing is crazy. <sighs> but I will not be getting a booster, so I'm excited about that. It's like, it's great that I'm like excited to not do a thing. Like it's really fun to be excited about not doing a thing. And I'm very excited about not doing this. I was at the gym today, a little personal anecdote as at the gym today, we have new, we have new mask restrictions. And I want to say this, um, and I don't want to criticize the owner because the owner's doing what they said to do. It doesn't want to get fined. It really hammers small businesses to get fined for this kind of stuff. But I was uh, stretching and kind of getting warmed up. And he was like, hey, man, do you have your vaccine card? And I'm like, oh, no, I'm not going to get vaccinated. He was like, well, you know, we got an email saying that if 80% of the people in the gym were vaccinated, then we could work out without masks on. You have 80% of the people in the gym that has a capacity, I think, of, of 30 now or 25 so if 80% of the people in the gym are vaccinated, we, we can work out without masks on. But that applies across the board. So if there's two people in the gym and one person is vaccinated, one person is not, that means 50% of the people are not vaccinated. And in our case, there were six people in the gym. That's about 3,000 square feet, all with further away apart from each other. Than, we're probably 15 feet apart, everybody. Like there was very few, very little interaction unless it was intentional interaction between people. But... Since 80% of people weren't vaccinated, we had to work out with our masks on, even though there was five or six of us in a 3,000 square foot space. Those are the regulations that we're dealing with right now. And that's just pushing people to, you know, contribute to Pfizer's uh, profit margins. That's it. That's what this has become because they own the media. They pay for the education. The education system for, for physicians is about pharmaceuticals. Pharmaceuticals pay for that. They, and then we pay for the research through grants um, from the NIH and things like that that are government funded into, uh, and, that, and we pay for it. So we paid for, we paid for the development of the vaccine, and now we get to pay for the vaccine again. So we're double paying for it. That's the world we live in. Like not only are we funding that, we're also funding the military industrial complex. Like this is, this is where our money goes. And then we have people complaining about taxes. Right, like, like as if as if fixing our healthcare system isn't a priority. It's like, oh well, that would be raise taxes too much. I mean, I don't know. Maybe spending trillions of dollars on on war is is a, is a bigger problem um, than what we spend on healthcare. You know, maybe reevaluating the way we do food would be a great way to keep people from dying of COVID because obesity seems to be the number one correlate outside of age. But huh, 
whatever, right? Like, well, this, we got this though. We'll put a bandaid on it. Like this is, this is insane. And, and the regulations are just, it's again, it's a carrot on a stick. Like they're getting exactly what uh, the CDC wanted, which is, which is putting people in a situation where they're inconvenienced and Americans love convenience. They're inconvenienced by not having the vaccine. So it's not really about health. It's about convenience. You're not having to wear a mask to work out, which is insane. It's insane. Now, maybe that makes sense in a spin class or something that's like crowded, but like not in the place where we're at. And it's like, who would also, who would know, right? Like I said, I don't want to be too hard on the owner. He's a new owner. He's trying to do his best. Um, but, but at the same time, it's like, guys, there were six of us in here. Like we're all far enough apart. Like this is not a threat, but people are just wearing their mask and doing their thing. And it's like, God damn. And, and that this inconvenience is driving these profits for Pfizer, which is what it's about, what it's always been about. That billion, the billions that were guaranteed to these companies for developing a vaccine that we paid for, and now we get to pay for again. And driving up premiums, whatever, whatever's going to happen, there will be a fallout of this. And this is, uh, this is where we're at. Good stuff. Good stuff. Good job, Pfizer. Congratulations on your success. We really appreciate your service to humanity. And now it's time for me to give you something to think about. So I was driving back from Utah. I went to Utah last week, did some exploring. It was fun. It was a really good time. Hope you saw the pictures I posted. We saw some some old art. We saw some just beautiful canyons. Took the took the forerunner down in this like on this full drive trail in a national park that was just gorgeous. Um, just a really good time. But you know, one thing I love about road trips, I get a lot of time to think. And I was thinking because I was kind of often la la land thinking about elk hunting and, and, and you know what I wanted to do. And we have some thoughts about moving and it's kind of like, what's the cost of that for me. And I started thinking about politically homeless and the show and how the show has grown. And again, like I, I, I had surpassed 10,000 followers. So I officially became like a micro influencer and I can have swipe ups and things like that, which is nice. And is very, very helpful. Um, even though the number doesn't really matter to me as much as, uh, the functionality and just the growth that it's happened from doing this show. And I was thinking, you know, what does it mean to be politically homeless? Because I think about it, you know, at, at first it was like criticizing both sides and, and it was very much rooted in politics. But since politics has kind of infected the rest of our lives, I think that, you know, our stance as as maybe we're on the intellectual left or or if you're, you know, slightly on the right, wherever you wherever you are in this like our stance needs to probably be more broad than just political. So I wanted to, I wanted to put this out there to all of you as well as kind of talk about my thoughts on it and just see what y'all have to say. So if you're in the Patreon, drop this in the Patreon on one of the posts and we'll kind of go through this or shoot me a DM uh, on Instagram. Let me know what I want to hear what you have to say about what it means to be politically homeless. Um, But when I think about it, I, I want to, really kind of flush this out as more of a lifestyle. It's more of a way of being. 
Um, as, as, as most of you know, I came from kind of a personal development background and when it came to content and creating podcasts and things like that. And one thing I really enjoyed about that was really challenging narratives and challenging dialogue and kind of through that, creating more firm and, and, and more solid ideas through challenge. Right. And I think that's a, an essential part of being politically homeless is like challenging both sides, challenging the narratives, challenging the common ideas. And I think there's a lot of, a lot of beauty that comes from that. As long as you don't fall down that slippery slope of being a pure contrarian for the sake of being different or validation or whatever it is. But I also think this part of this when it comes to things that we notice are broken in our society, right? So for me, that's one of those is the healthcare system and the food system. And the way I go about that is by taking responsibility for my own health and doing the best I can to take responsibility for my own food. And that comes from me um, getting my, spending my time in the woods, elk hunting, deer hunting, duck hunting, you know, uh, upland bird hunting, like training my dogs, like things like that, getting out and also just enjoying the world, enjoying the things that we have at our disposal, right? I'm lucky enough to live in Colorado where we have millions of acres of public land that we can go experience and be a part of and see and, and like put our feet in the dirt, you know, like that's something that I find very valuable. I'm not saying that you need to find that valuable necessarily, but it's important to find those things in life that we, that really get us through this bullshit, right? There's so much bullshit. There's so much going on. There's so much tearing us apart in the world. It's so nice to get out and shut that off. And that may be meditation for you. That may be hiking. That may be boating. It could be anything. It could be anything. But when I look at like America's uh, public lands and national parks, like that's one of the best things that our government has ever done. That's one of the biggest wins. And when those things get infringed upon, I take it very personally. One of the, one of the big issues I had with Trump was the way that he was attacking public lands in a way that I felt was very unproductive in the long term. Um, but that's me, right? That's my own personal value system. And I understand that. And I understand that's my bias. And I can accept that um, I'm probably going to be relatively irrational in those kind of things because I do care maybe too much. Um, but that's something that I really love. And I think, you know, when you think about the things that are broken in our society and contributing with our time, with our dollars, uh, in voting for real change through supporting local farms, local agriculture, people that do regenerative farming, right? Taking responsibility for your own health, doing the research, being a little bit more informed because it's really easy to get in this spot of, of political homelessness, right? Where you're just pissed and bitching about both sides. And I've definitely caught myself in that. But I think there's a bigger picture here, which is, is this like politically homeless lifestyle, this way of being in the world where we say, Hey, let's, let's challenge each other. Right. Let's challenge our closest friends. Let's have these like let's have real let's let, let's set the standard here. Let's set the standard for who we want to be. Let's let's look at the way we treat our health and maybe like evaluate some things. Like what really gets us excited about, you know, working out or getting out and exercising? What you know, what do we feel like we need? Are we evaluating our sleep? Are we evaluating um, the way that we eat, what we where we spend our money? Are we tipping enough? Are we being those kind of people? Are we being the kind of people that we respect? I think that's a big part of it. And, and to do the things, to get out and actually put your time in doing the things that challenge our society in a, in a positive way, right? For me, a lot of that is, is hunting and outdoor stuff, right? It just, it just, it lights me up. It's my, it's my passion in life to be out doing those things. That's it's, it's this show. And of course my family and my dogs and everything like that. Um, but then as far as like a thing I do just for me, to appreciate the time that I have on this earth, it's getting out and, and, and experiencing nature in a way that is very, I find very special uh, and something I want to capitalize on as much as I can in my life. And it, it, it helps me come back to something like this that can be really draining and really challenging and really dark. 
um, in a way that is uh, through the lens of appreciation for the life that we have. And I think that's something we miss, generally speaking, in politics. We don't we don't just sit here and say, "Hey, like we're, we're first. Let's just start with the premise that we're grateful to be here. Like, we're grateful to be here. We're grateful to be mostly safe, uh, mostly protective." And, and some people may say, "Well, it's a point of privilege." I'm like, "Well, yeah, okay, but we live in a safer environment than we have in a long time, and there are a lot more opportunities than there have been historically." You know, maybe that means, and these are things that don't necessarily even cost money, right? Vote with your dollars, absolutely, and and, and spend money on farm-raised eggs and, and, and meat from a local farm and companies that invest in uh, regenerative agriculture. Like, those are solutions. Those are real solutions that the government has nothing to do with. Of course, they could help. They won't, but they could. But what will really make a difference is the demand, right? Pure economics when it comes to these kind of things. And... Some of this stuff doesn't cost you a fucking dime, right? It may cost you to take a gas to get out and just be disconnected from all of this shit, right? Not bitching, not complaining, not posting on Twitter or Instagram, but being out and not doing anything besides appreciating life. And I think that's very much part of this politically homeless lifestyle, right? And I don't want to make it just about policy and politicians and shitting on bad ideas and bitching about critical race theory and bitching about, you know, people calling everything socialist or people calling everything fascist. Like that's small. And it may not seem small because it sucks all the air out of the room, but it's small and life is much bigger. So I want to hear from you. What do you think it means to be politically homeless and how can maybe you hold yourself to a higher standard? How can you maybe hold me to a higher standard when it comes to um, expression and, and living a life that is fulfilling through critical thinking, rationale, and general groundedness. Um, I find it important. We'll see where it goes. But uh, <laughs> just something I was thinking about. I had no notes on that one, but uh, it was fun. Something to think about anyways. You guys are great. Thank you for hanging out with me today. Really appreciate it. Make sure to leave a review on Apple Podcasts and get your ass over to the Patreon. It's good stuff over there. Love you guys. Keep your head on straight, and we will see you next time. Bye-bye.